success of these efforts depends on partnership with communities as we all have the responsibility to care for our infrastructure. And through these efforts, we hope that we will be able to restore our infrastructure to a state of good health. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable President. Uh, the first supplementary question will come from Honorable Nyambi. Honorable Nyambi. Thank you, uh, Chairperson of the National Council of Provinces. Thank you, Honorable President, for your elaborate response. The President will agree that uh, different provinces and areas have been affected by these damages to public infrastructure in various ways, as we have alluded to that point. My question is whether government has made any determination in terms of which areas are going to be prioritized. Secondly, has any consideration been made, Honorable President, to secure additional funding from the National Treasury given the dire economic situation in our country and considering the fact that exorbitant resources will be needed to fix these damages in our beautiful provinces. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thanks, President, for the detailed response. Honorable President. Honorable uh, Chair of the NCOP, the many areas that have been damaged uh, are areas of great priority. Commuter rail is a priority. Schools are a priority. And indeed, many, many areas where damage has taken place. So they are all priority. Of course, we're facing enormous challenges of a fiscal nature with regard to the availability of funding. That is why when people damage public infrastructure, they must realize that in the end, it is easy to damage and to rebuild is much, much more expensive. And in fact, impossibly expensive because right now we do not have all the resources to rebuild the infrastructure. What we do have to do is to continue maintaining our public infrastructure, which has not been happening in a way that we would like to see. But damaged infrastructure is really a crime against the people of our country. Because when people get angry, when people get frustrated, there's just no reason why they should attack public infrastructure and prevent other people from either getting a service from that public infrastructure or improving their lives. From a fiscal point of view, it is forever becoming difficult and more difficult to fund the replacement of damaged infrastructure. But as government, we have to do it. And at times, it will take us a long time. 
It will take us a long time to replace that infrastructure that has been willfully damaged. It takes a long time because it is much more expensive to rebuild infrastructure that is damaged and with a shortage of funding, it becomes much, much, much more of a difficult task. But it's got to be done, but we need to issue a warning to those who continue to damage infrastructure that the law enforcement agencies of our country will continue to take a very dim view against those who damage infrastructure because our country cannot afford to continue with this sabotage that takes place, not only against that infrastructure, but against the people of South Africa. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable uh, President. The next supplementary question comes from Honorable Jay Jankelson. Thank you, Honorable Chase. Through you to the Honorable President. Uh, Mr. President, we welcome the fiscal assistance which you've indicated will be allocated to deal with this issue. But Mr. President, we've seen in many provinces and local governments how national government grants, especially con conditional grants of this nature, are abused and often not used for the intended purposes. This is due to many factors that may include lack of human capacity, poor management, maladministration, and especially in the free state where I am sitting, a legacy of corruption left by your colleague, although not necessarily your friend, the former Premier Ace Mahashule. Mr. President, my question is, in your opinion, do the provinces and local governments have the capacity to repair the damage caused by vandalism and theft? And what will you do to ensure that the resources allocated are used for the intended purposes that you indicated? Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson of the NCOP. Yes, indeed. As a government, we have the responsibility to allocate resources to assist provinces, even local government, whenever infrastructure that serves the public is damaged. Now, do they have the capacity to do so? We would like to believe that yes, they should have the capacity. As we continue to strengthen the capability of the state, we want to create that capacity in terms of uh, human capital, in terms of the processes that need to be put in place of either a technical nature or a procurement nature. We would like local government and indeed provincial government to have that capacity because it is that level of government that needs to serve the people closest to where our people live. Our process now is to professionalize the public service, to increase the number of people who have know-how, who are able to do the work, and who will be technologically, or technically rather, proficient in being able to do the work. 
Will the resources that we allocate be used for the purposes that they are meant for? Working together with the Auditor General, working together with our provincial government and indeed our local government, we are going to make sure that monies that are allocated either from a grant point of view, uh, from any other funding process are utilized for the purpose that they are used for. We want to remove the temptation for corruption. We want to eliminate corruption completely. And therefore, we want those levels of government to work transparently and to be accountable. And if any fall foul of the rules that we have in place, they should be accountable. So as we strengthen the capacity of the state, that is precisely what we seek to focus on. And I'm sure that we will succeed uh, to have, yes, levels of government that are well run, well monitored, and uh, are able to execute their tasks. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. The next supplementary question comes from Honorable Zandamela. Honorable Zandamela. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, President, during uh, the lockdown last year, almost 2,000 schools were vandalized across the country. And in addition, over an extended period of time, we had metro rail infrastructure vandalized to such an extent that uh, trains were no longer running anymore, depriving millions of, of, of people a cheaper means of public transport. Now, President, have you, in your initial assessment, found that the destruction of public infrastructure was a calculated sabotage by those who benefited from state tenders? If so, have you been able to identify those who are responsible and bring them to book? Thank you, Chair. Honorable President. Honorable Chairperson, thank you very much. The answer to the first question is no, we have not been able to uh, verify that those who destroyed uh, public infrastructure are those who benefited from uh, tenders that were issued during the period of COVID. So I would not be able to answer that one because we have not yet verified. Yes, we've been conducting investigations through the uh, various law enforcement agencies. And yes, people who should be prosecuted have been identified. And we've also had quite a lot of money returned to the state uh, through those efforts that we put in place. So I'm confident that they will end up having their days in court as well. As our law enforcement agencies are determined, the SIU has been doing an excellent job in this regard, and the National Prosecuting Agency will be taking matters forward to make sure that uh, this type of malfeasance does come to an end. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much. The, the, the last supplementary question uh, is from Honorable Ngwezi. 
Eh, honorable Ngwezi. Niyatoza akulu eh, salo nyambosa. Ngbingelele kumengamelu eze. Eh, utata eh, uramaposa. Eh, the, while we undertaking a comprehensive audit of damage caused during, I mean, to public infrastructure during the lockdown period is important. There is a significant infrastructure that has deteriorated with roads in municipalities such as Uku, especially on Marine Drive, creating an extra service delivery burdens on the KZN provincial government. And in many areas like Gongkanza, Gongkanyagute, Mshabialingana, in many areas, uh, Mr. President, this, this disrepair condition of roads in Uku and across the country negatively impact road safety and human lives. What strategies have been adopted at the national level to address the decay of public infrastructure, especially roads networks? And uh, also, if, if it is uh, within your message to answer me, there are areas where also there is no infrastructure at all, especially in rural areas. So I would like to know the strategy at the national level to address the decaying infrastructure, but also to address issues of the lack of infrastructure where it solely doesn't exist, especially in rural areas. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. President. Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Yes, we are aware that um, the lack of maintenance has led to lots of our road infrastructure being damaged, creating really hazardous situations for our people in the form of uh, potholes, in the form of degradation of the road network in a number of parts of our country. We, we keep hearing and seeing a lot of that uh, degradation. It is something that concerns us. It really truly concerns us because we should not really be tolerating a situation like this. Of course, roads are a responsibility at a number of levels of government, at the local level, at the provincial level, and at the national level. At the national level, the uh, Sandral is doing its best not only to extend road networks, even leading to you know, certain areas that can lead to the connection of our villages with uh, big roads, but also in ensuring that the roads are maintained. So we've got a national agency that focuses on that. But we also do need ensure that the provincial uh, departments do take the issue of road degradation quite seriously. I've always been an advocate for the paving of our roads because it is cheaper, it is quicker, it is much more effective. I always refer to how the Romans in their heydays were able to pave the roads and Till today, you're able to see paved roads in that part of the world. 
They are durable, effective, and they employ a lot of people. And as we have to move ahead and create that road infrastructure, I've been urging my colleagues, local government level as well, that this is a mechanism that we should use because of its job creation possibilities and fairly well-priced processes that we can embark upon. So in the end, yes, we've got to build roads in our rural areas. We've got to be uh, wise to and open our eyes to new technologies, new processes of creating well-surfaced road networks. And so this I, I, I support immensely. And of course, many of our local governments do not have the re- financial resources. Uh, even the grants that they get from national government quite often do not provide that uh, support that uh, they need to get. So we need to be extending the road building processes through paved roads, yes, tarred roads, and uh, roads that are robust enough as to be able uh, to limit the, the, the continuous maintenance and the creation of uh, those road surfaces. But we want to help as much as we can at national level. The fiscal challenge that we face now is a major, major problem. And we need to find ways of being able to address that. And thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, the next question is a question on climate change as a priority of government. It comes from um, uh, Honorable uh, Labos Kachne and is directed to the president. Uh, Honorable President. Honorable members, tackling climate change is a national priority. And that is how I would like all of us as South Africans to approach the issue of the specter of climate change. This requires, in the end, not only that we meet our international commitments, because we are not an island. We are interconnected with other nations. We therefore have to act together in the international space to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but also that we implement adaptation measures to protect individuals, communities, and our economy from the effects of climate change. If we do not act now, and if we do not act together as a global community, we will be increasingly vulnerable to adverse weather conditions as we see them occurring all the time. We will be subjected to water scarcity, which should not even come as a surprise to us as South Africans, because we are a water-challenged country. Uh, We will also see the displacement of uh, populations uh, and biodiversity loss. At the same time, the country's response to climate change needs to be well managed to ensure that it does not negatively impact on the economy 
or exacerbate inequality, poverty, and unemployment. We must acknowledge that the transition to a low emission economy and climate change resilient society offers opportunities for a new development infrastructure, as well as from a job creation point of view. It is therefore important that we understand both the opportunities and the risks associated with climate change. It is for this reason that we established a presidential commission to identify a path towards low emissions economy and climate resilient society that just that is just and which promotes inclusive development as well as job creation. But it should also be an approach that leaves no one behind. The commission itself is constituted by members from various sectors of society, including business, civil society, labor, youth, research and institutes, and also from government. This signifies that we recognize the multidimensional nature of climate change and a just transition. It is, this signifies that indeed we are serious about climate change in the way that we have conceptualized the structure. Cabinet members, uh, particularly those from economic cluster ministries actively participate in the commission's work to ensure that there is political oversight over the work that we do. As part of our response to climate change, public consultations uh, have been underway on the draft updated nationally determined contribution. This outlines the country's targets for the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. Once finalized, the updated nationally determined contribution will be submitted to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, but this will happen ahead of the Climate Change Summit, known as COP26, which will be held in Glasgow in November. South Africa is currently the coordinator of the Committee of African Heads of State and the Government. This committee is a vital part of our continent's ambitious coordinated response to climate change. This weekend, I will be participating in deliberations on climate change at the G7 meeting in the United Kingdom, where I'll be presenting the possibilities as well as the real good positions of our country and the continent on this very important and critical issue. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable President. The first supplementary question will come from Honorable Labus Kahne. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Mr. President, for the comprehensive answer. In light of that, Will you please, Mr. President, explain whether Mr. Minister Montasha's powership deal 
which will have devastating environmental effects, not only on the marine environment where they will be docked, but also to greenhouse gases, will in principle jeopardize our national determined contributions and the sustainable development goals. Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. The so-called powership deal or process, uh, in the end, to the extent that it has an impact on the environment, still has to go through the environmental impact study. And that study is a rigorous process, as we all know, because it involves uh, scientific analysis, it involves environmental uh, issues, it involves how uh, the ecosystem that prevails at the moment in where they will be placed is actually constructed. So in the end, the EIA, is the one that is really going to determine what the path forward should be, because it is an objective process. It is a process in which scientists and people who know all these environmental issues will be participating. And I'd like to give that process an opportunity to interrogate precisely the impact that uh, a system like this will have. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable President. The, the third, uh, the second, sorry, supplementary question will come from uh, Honorable Masangu. Honorable Masangu. Togoze Slano Amalunga, Nischaba Saketu, Sesola Africa. No munga meli. Gokhani pokulu no guzutoba. Angtogoze, Honorable President, for your very comprehensive response to the question posed to you. Munga meli. Gazu gutuza vumela nanami natisoke. That climate change is a global challenge with a devastating impact on developing economies. Gigzuile Mungameli Uguti, Ukulumile Guti Senino Bujelane, Ne Labour, Ne Business. Engig Bawago, Uwe, Mungameli, Uguti, Ubujelane, any nabo, Ugutim Chambe, Nakonagalago, Ustakulisele, Uguti, Irol. Or in the Maella, why private sector? Inganga, Ibunjan, Ugutisibaban to Besola Africa, Sisu. Lastly, Honorable President, I'll also want to understand that can government fashion out a guide which explains the role uh, that the general public, Jengis Chavas, South Africa, should play in this regard. Sengabi Zingbugeli Pela, 
njengabantu besawula Afrika kube nendima esidla labo ngiyathokoza mungamele Thank you very much honorable president ngiyathokoza nami mama umahlangu ngithokoza kakhulu ngalombuzo obuzayo kakhulu mangukuzwa kahle ukuthi lendaba ye climate change ngempela uyizwisisa kahle futhi ufuna ukwazi ukuthi laba abasoma business nalaba abanye babasebenzi nawo mphakathi bazoba nendima enjani na ukuthi sisebenzisane kule ludaba lwe climate change clearly in order for us to reduce our gas emissions we've got to work together we've got to work together to reduce those emissions because it's already been proven that climate change is a major major challenge to all nations around the world and we've got to work together collectively in the end it is the private sector working together with government all our people working together to secure a better future for our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren we've got to leave them a better world than what we found because really in the end they are the owners of this world that we live in because they are the ones who are going to live in it or suffer in it if we don't look after it so it is therefore our responsibility and it is also within our powers that we should look after this world because it's a fragile world and it cannot be done by one entity alone be it government be it business be it ordinary people so it's behoves on us to then work together in our own country by having created this commission the presidential commission on uh, climate change we are hoping to mobilize our people through their various formations non-governmental organizations the political formations religious and a whole lot of others to address this issue of climate change and the private sector must play its role by investing in green economy giving our country a, helping to give our country a just transition so that as we migrate from where we are now into a greener future there should be a just transition because people matter the jobs that our people are doing matters there should not be a jobs bloodbath and if we have to move to new technologies the technologies must be able to secure a better life and future for our people and as we adapt to new climatic conditions and situations we must do so in a way that secures livelihoods 
So this is a multidisciplinary process that we must get involved in and no one sector or entity can do it alone. We have to be working together to ensure that the future that we have as an aspiration as even set out in uh, the SDGs and Agenda 2063 on our continent is a future that we approach collectively, building consensus, collaborating, working together on an ongoing basis. President. The next supplementary question is that is a third supplementary question that comes from uh, Honorable Detroit. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable President, in April this year, and you confirmed it now, you said that um, tackling climate change is a national priority and that South Africa must do our part. Honorable President, you just confirmed that we are a water-challenged country and you said that people matter. Now, according to UNESCO, there's a link between water quality and climate change. And Mr. President, it does however seem that your ministers are not as serious about climate change and the combating of pollution as you are. I'm referring to Minister Lindibi Sassuru that lashed out during a recent policy debate on water and sanitation, and I'm quoting her, may you live with what you are living with until all of us have proper sanitation, close quote. She was referring to sewage running into white people's houses and said we must live with it. She further said that uh, she's not apologetic about it. Honourable President, what measures have you taken to ensure that Cabinet is also on board to counter pollution and make the fight against climate change a priority? And how will Minister Susulu's corrosive statements be dealt with by you since they are not conducive to, to social cohesion and not supportive to the national approach towards climate change? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable President. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson. The government that I lead is irrevocably committed to making sure that we address the challenges that mitigate against our people getting a better life. And a better life is, means that the rights that our people have as encapsulated in our constitution, right to good living conditions in the form of housing, health and water are secured. That for us is very important. We are focused and determined to make sure that that becomes a goal that is realized. We are also, we are also egged on by the SDGs, at the global level, we're also egged on by Agenda 2063 on our own continent and various decisions that have been taken by our regional continental body, which is SADC. And us 
as the government are also egged on by the recon, uh, by our our NDP. Now looked at in that context, we therefore are taking all measures on a continuous basis to address the needs of our people. We have done a phenomenally well since 1994 to have water reticulated to well more than 80% of our people. But as I said the other day, we still have our work cut out for us. And that means that we've got to take care of the interests of all our people, irrespective of where they are in our country, where they live, irrespective of who they are, from a gender, from a race perspective. Uh, we need and have to provide water and sanitation to our people. As you correctly say, we are a water-challenged country, and we therefore not only have to ensure that our people get water, but also to save water and secure a good future for our people. Now, I was not there when Minister Sulu articulated those views, but as the minister serving in the cabinet that I lead, and also the political party that I lead, she is irrevocably committed to serving the people of our country collectively and comprehensively, and would not in any way, shape or form want to create a differentiation on the basis of race. She serves all our people equally. So I would think that we should look at what that department is doing. It continues to serve all our people without making any distinction or choice. And uh, that commitment turns into programs that the department is, is, is involved in, turns into structures that uh, the department leads and manages, and it turns into outcomes uh, that leads to our people getting water uh, so that they can lead a better life. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable President. Uh, the last and the fourth supplementary question comes from Honorable Arnolds. Thank you, Honorable Arnolds. Thank you, House Chairperson. Mr. President, the long-term adaptation scenarios flagship research program foresees major changes for the water and agricultural sector if present emissions continue as they are or even increase. We have already seen the impact of extended droughts in the Eastern Cape and the Western Cape, and these may become permanent, making production of particular agricultural products impossible in some areas in the country. Now, at the national, multinational uh, level, what is South Africa doing to convince the world's biggest polluters to cut down on their carbon emissions? And as you have said, we have um, to act immediately. And what are you doing in the immediate 
in terms of uh, what you have said now? What is the immediate to save lives and livelihoods? I thank you. Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. From our point of view as a country and as a nation, there is a lot that we do. We have a ministry that is just dedicated to addressing the issues of climate change. Minister Barbara Creasy and her staff in the ministry and in the department are clearly dedicated to ensuring that our management of environmental issues and the leadership that we should provide is of a very high nature. And in doing so, we interact with a number of specialized non-governmental organizations that work closely with us to develop clear positions of both a practical nature and an advocacy nature. I appointed a presidential commission, which I lead as chair and which has Vali Musa as deputy chair. And uh, that commission is at work as we uh, sit here now, developing clear positions on how we address this continuing challenge of climate change. So what do we do? We develop our own positions, which are very clear, and we do so in collaboration with various structures, and the commission helps us in that regard. Having done so, we then interact at the regional level. Our region in SADC has been subjected for many times and years to the effects, adverse effects of climate change in the form of droughts, adverse heat, uh, as well as the invasion of of, uh, uh, of, of, of of locusts and many others, which are a result of uh, climate change and, uh, and droughts that have devastated a number of uh, uh, agricultural uh, subsectors of the economy. And uh, we collaborate at that level. Beyond that, at the continental level, and develop clear positions of what we should be saying globally. I'm the coordinator uh, on our continent for climate change matters and interact with various heads of state on our continent. We recently held a meeting where we were developing a clear position of how the continent can work together as we go to COP26 in Glasgow. And beyond that, we work with our private sector. We work with private sector. We push private sector to limit emissions. At the global level, we interact with various countries to limit their own emissions, but also to uh, support us. Our continent is uh, least responsible for the global emissions. Uh, we only do up to 2%, and yet we feel the devastation. And so therefore, we, 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 we interact with them to get them to commit to fund us to go through the devastation that climate change is wreaking on our countries and on our economies. And in that way, we also help to mobilize our people so that we are all climate 
change conscious so that we know as a people that climate change is a reality and we need to find ways of addressing it. It is some of those things that we do both in practical terms and also in advocacy terms and also in coming up with laws and regulations that are going to get the polluters to reduce their pollution activities, including taxation, to serve as a disincentive against those uh, who pollute. Thank you, Honorable Team. Thank you very much, Honorable President. The next question is a question on um, implementation of the ERRP. And this question comes from uh, Honorable Kai and is addressed to the Honorable President. Honorable President. Uh, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Members, the Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan is a necessary response to the severe economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic. The plan aims to ensure a swift and lasting economic recovery with measures to limit the immediate impact of the pandemic on vulnerable workers and households and to revive economic growth in the short and medium term. Significant progress has been made since the announcement of the plan less than eight months ago. The infrastructure fund has been established and its investment committee has been constituted. A total of 18 billion rand has been allocated to the infrastructure fund over the next three years for blended finance arrangements that will leverage private sector funding. To achieve greater energy security, a total of 1,200 megawatts of new generation capacity has now been connected to the grid from projects approved through bid window four of the Renewable Energy IPP program. A request for proposal has been issued for 2,600 megawatts of power from wind and solar PV projects through bid window five. 11 preferred bidders have been approved as part of the emergency power procurement program, which will together deliver nearly 2,000 megawatts over the next 18 months. As I announced earlier this afternoon, Schedule 2 of the Electricity Regulation Act will soon be amended to increase the licensing threshold for embedded generation projects from 1 megawatt to 100 megawatts. The Presidential Employment Stimulus has supported close to 700,000 opportunities across a range of programs through the creation of new work opportunities the projection of existing jobs in vulnerable sectors and support for livelihoods. Now, what we've also done is to come up, as I've said in State of the Nation address on two occasions, we've also come up with uh, uh, sector master plans. And they are currently in implementation in the automotive sugar poultry and 
clothing, textile and footwear and leather sectors. This approach, which relies on close collaboration with stakeholders to develop a tailored action plan for high growth sectors is already demonstrating really good results. According to data released by the South African Revenue Service, the South Africa experienced a cumulative trade surplus of close on 250 billion rand for the first four months of this year. Now, this reflects a massive increase in exports to the rest of the world, driven largely by this unique strategic value of our mineral resources. Now, funding for measures contained in the ERRP is included in the budgets of all national departments for their areas of responsibility, ensuring that the plan is mainstreamed uh, in the work of government. Through the effective implementation of the plan, as well as the structural reforms that are part of the operation Volindlela, we are reviving our economy and placing our country on a new growth trajectory. The success of the recovery plan is based on a strong partnership with business, with labor, and other social partners as a whole of society effort to promote our economic recovery. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable President. The first supplementary question comes from uh, Honorable Kai. Honorable Kai. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, greetings uh, to His Excellency, the President. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable President, uh, for the, re the progress uh, that we've achieved uh, uh, in the past uh, eight months uh, on the implementation of the ERRP. Um, uh, currently, uh, Honorable President, uh, we're going through uh, power supply challenges. Um, to, to what extent uh, are these uh, challenges going to have uh, on the priority areas, uh, the project that uh, you have articulated that are in the ERRP, as well as the, the master plans? Uh, will there be a situation where these uh, uh, key uh, priority areas, uh, the projects, and the master plan have to be reviewed uh, because of these uh, 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 power supply challenges. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable President and uh, Honorable Chairperson. Honorable President. And Honorable Hai, thank you for that question. Now, clearly, we are going through enormous challenges when it comes to uh, energy in our country. And a number of countries in the world have from time to time also gone through challenges in relation to their energy uh, generation and uh, reticulation. And we have been going through such for quite a while. And today I think we made an announcement that can be seen as a game changer, where we've been able to open a great window of opportunity that will enable us to 
have more power generated as our ESCOM recovers from the degradation that has been going through. And armed with both ESCOM's recovery as well as the generation of power by a number of producers, we will be able to reach a level where we have sufficient energy to power our economy going forward. So will our challenges now have an impact on our priorities? The challenges would have an impact if we did not come up with a plan of how to address the power generation challenges. Now, with the initiatives that we've announced today, I believe that we should be able to forestall the negative impact that our energy challenges would have had if we had not taken the action. So if anything, it will just be a, sure, a very small blip because we expect that energy generation will improve as ESCOM is improving itself, but it will also be balanced by more generation. Already we can see the impact of our renewable energy generation uh, as it continues to kick in. And we could have been in a much worse situation if we had not taken the initiatives that we're taking. And uh, we, we should be able to be either on even keel or a lot better uh, with the initiatives that we're taking. So I don't believe that our priority areas will be so negatively affected, if at all. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable President. Uh, the next supplementary question comes from Honorable T. Apleni. Honorable Apleni. Nakensa Chairperson, I'm going to take that question on behalf of Honorable Apleni. Okay, please proceed. Murangerwati, do you foresee any role for state-owned companies in your so-called economic and restructuring plan? If so, how do you expect SOEs to play such a role if you have allowed them to be systematically run down over the past few years? If you see SOEs is as important. Why have you not fired the underperforming and the outdated Minister of Public Enterprise who has overseen the destruction of SOEs? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Do I foresee a role for state-owned enterprises? Uh, in the economic recovery and reconstruction plan, anyone who has studied that plan carefully will see that the role of state-owned enterprises is addressed in that plan. We foresee state-owned enterprises being revived, 
being rebuilt, being strengthened, so that they can play a key role. We could never, even if we wanted to wish our state-owned enterprises away. And in fact, the new approach and trend in the world confirms the role that state-owned enterprises should play in the economy, economies of our countries, because they play a critical role for the provision of services. They play a big role in ensuring that the state is able to give direction and to give meaning to economic uh, development. As it is now, we are a country that has a mixed economy trajectory. So the role of state-owned enterprises is confirmed, it is present, and will not be diluted. All we have to do is to address the challenges that our state-owned enterprises are having. As we are doing, we are restoring, doing everything we can to restore the standing, the functioning, and the role of our state-owned enterprises in our economy. Now, Minister Pravin Godan, who is the Minister of Public Enterprises, continues day and night to do his work with a great deal of diligence and continues to show up our state-owned enterprises. And he is the engine of ensuring that we are able to, in the future, have a cohesive state enterprise portfolio of companies that will serve the interests of South Africans. So that work continues. And as you will hear in the coming uh, days or so, you will hear the type of work that is being done to take our state-owned enterprises forward. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable President. Uh, the third supplementary question comes from Honorable Ngwezi. Honorable Ngwezi. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson of the NCOP. Uh, Mr. President, when you initially announced COVID, relief packages that included the temporary employee or employer relief scheme, you vowed to South Africans that you would ensure a crackdown on corruption and mismanagement of relief funds. Acknowledging again uh, in July 2020 that open court, there must be no scope for corruption, more so than at any other time, corruption put lives at risk, close quotes. However, Minister Mkhize of Health is alleged to have been involved in corruption of unethically awarding COVID-19-related contracts to his associates under your watch. Further, Employment and Labor Minister Tulas Ngwais recently inappropriate payments of funds from TES. Now, considering the above incidents, government interventions continue to be plagued by corruption and in the process, businesses are suffering and further incapacitated. Now, I would like to know 
whether is your government, Mr. President, uh, going to suspend levies and fees payable by businesses to enable their economic recovery that is not dependent on corruption-infested government-led interventions? Thank you, Mr. President. And Chairperson of the NCOP. Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. The answer to the question of whether we will suspend levies, it's a matter that uh, has not been uh, put before us for consideration. We did give relief also to companies right at the height of our initial lockdown. And uh, that period came and went. And right now, there is no such thinking or plan. And if there is, we will duly make the announcement and uh, Honorable Ngwezi will be amongst the first to know. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Honorable President. Uh, the next supplementary question is the first, fourth supplementary question comes from Honorable Ryder. Honorable Thank Ryder. You. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairperson. Mr. President, your commitments to the country during the State of the Nation Address and also during the Address on the Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan do not appear to have made it into the appropriation bill that is currently before this House. The proposals that you've made have not been funded adequately as, as they were promised. And this is especially evident in the infrastructure allocations across most of the relevant departments. So the infrastructure fund that you mentioned in your response seems to be a repackaging of existing allocations and shifting some existing infrastructure appropriations into different projects. Mr. President, many people, myself included, are wondering what is derailing us? We are wondering if it's Treasury that is reluctant to give effect to your vision. We are wondering if it's your ministers or their departments that are trying to undermine you. Um, we're even wondering if it's the even obvious fact that the SOEs are sucking every available cent from the community where those cents should be spent. Which one is it, Mr. President, or is it all of the above? Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Um, I should say that it seems like uh, the, 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 the Honorable Member uh, Riley is uh, uh, reading scripts that uh, are not in front of me. We did say that because of our fiscal challenges and the various constraints that we have. Treasury, our budget rather has to be so prioritized as to be able to find a way in which we can fund a number of projects on an ongoing basis. To the extent that some have not been funded right now, we know that the MTBPS statement will be able to close that, uh, uh, that, that loophole because projects, as you know, 
get funding on an ongoing basis. And uh, it's, it's a matter of the timing of uh, all those uh, projects coming into fruition. There's no question of being sabotaged. There's no question of treasury being reluctant. And there's no question of uh, departments are not willing to execute uh, the plans that we've got in place. It's a question of dealing with the difficult fiscal challenges that we have, where we've got to juggle quite a number of balls in the air and uh, make do with the constrained resources that we have. And that is what it is. And so far, Treasury has done an excellent job, much as there may well be dissatisfaction in a number of areas about the cuts that have been put in place. Uh, and they've been done so that we are able to meet other priorities. So many of the areas that are impact on our people's lives are priorities, very important priorities that need to be properly addressed. And with the shortage of the resources we have, Treasury has had to do that balancing act and the departments have had to, to shift and move things around. But all the time, keeping our eye on advancing the interests uh, of the people of the country. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable President. Uh, we'll now move on to the next question, which is question four. Uh, the question is on appointment of election panel and or postponement of elections. This question has been raised, uh, 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 put on the table by uh, Honorable Matebula, and it's directed to, to the President. Honorable President. Honorable Chairperson, on the 22nd of April, I announced that the 27th of October 2021 would be the date on which the local government elections will be held. The announcement does not constitute a proclamation as contemplated in the Local Government Municipal Electoral Act. The proclamation will be issued by Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs for the first time since its establishment. The Independent Electoral Commission is faced with the prospect of conducting elections in the midst of a global pandemic. They have never had to conduct elections during a testing and challenging period like this. Now, concerns have been expressed by some political parties represented on the party liaison committee that the forthcoming elections may not be fair and free given the impact of COVID-19 and the measures taken to curb the continued spread of the pandemic. Now, cognizant of its obligations, to ensure that the elections are free and fair. The IEC has commissioned Justice Dikhang Museneke to lead the inquiry 
into ensuring free and fair local elections during COVID-19. The inquiry is expected to do three things. Firstly, inquire into the conditions for free and fair elections. Secondly, come up with findings following the inquiry. And thirdly, issue a report in which recommendations are set out concerning the likelihood that the IAC would be able to ensure that the forthcoming government elections will be free and fair. It, is, it has also been asked to indicate additional measures that the IEC may be required to implement in order to realize free and fair elections within the context of COVID-19. Now, any possible postponement of elections is a matter on which the IEC will have to make a recommendation or determination in terms of provisions of the constitution and applicable legal prescripts. The Museneke inquiry is about inquiring into and providing a report on the conditions for free and fair elections so as to enable the IEC to fully consider the matter. Now, as there is no determination of a postponement at this stage. No other date has been considered as election date other than the 27th of October, 2021. Honorable Chairperson, I thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable President. The first supplementary question comes from uh, uh, Honorable B.T. Matebula. Honorable Matebula? Eh, Nakensa Mo Samashtul. Murangeru Atiko. Mizeruwe Kubiere Lanesako holding election in a climate of fear and mortal danger to people will not provide for a condition where those elections can be rendered free and fair. This has a material impact on political parties and on people themselves who are tired of the dysfunctionality of their municipalities. We are in, in a third wave of the pandemic now, which will likely last until August. In what way do you think the election will be fair and not expose ordinary South African to the risks of contracting the various edibles that can chain? Thank you very much, Honorable President. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, Nakenza. Wanawalekaya Nakenza, Nakawena, Mbutisolo. Kaseka, Sesulule, Sisa, Korihita, Komati elections. Hite Akubina inquiry lay. Ya judge Museneke. And a forty Ihina E Independent Electoral Commission. Leinga Riku Shorwaka Sekuri. The elections let it in Gaya Mashweni, Kambeting Aya Amashwe. So if Anokuri Melabona, Basilangutaka. 
balango taswilo hinkwaso kuri ba bona kuri ti election leti tingaya mashweni na lani ka tsama kona sweshi nge koti kupula kuri e ati mashweni kambe tingai mashweni bona ba endle kahle kuri ba ba na committee le le rangeri wa u i nkulukumba judge museneke ni tsemba kuri ba ta endla ntiro wa kahle swinene kuri ba ikomba hinkweru the elections let on a free and fair basis. So Anita Kukawena Kuri Seswamin, I should take his list. If Pumela Kuri, Nkulukumbaloi, Musenek, no was Steve Ashulis, shot the election, Anga Sungulina Mutla, Ari in nineteen ninety four. Atera swana le swati election. So wash tiba kuri sutiri wanjaan. Aemu fumeli kuri anjanti rwayena. Aema sweni. Asutira kashi. Uta humana report. Report lei. Itakota kuibona hinkweru. Noku swendeka kuri aku. The election led to think I must win. I see Yastiva Corita Falokuri and Jaina. Constitution Yaina, if Bulacate, Corri, Locusime in the Layotan, Cofalokurku and Jai. So Minanic Teketakuri, to preempt what uh, Justice Museneke will come up with, would be a mistake. Let us allow. The process that he has been given to lead to take place. And what, in my view, is most pleasing is that with many of the things we do, we've got checks and balances. So that if we ever make a mistake on anything, we're able to be checked so that we can create the balance. So with this inquiry process, it is going to be able to check whether the decision we took to hold the elections later this year is the correct one. And they will approach their work most scientifically and work with the experts who will be able to give sound advice. So, I have a familiar Thank you very much, Honorable President. The second uh, supplementary question will come from the Honorable Team Protestant. Honorable Team. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, through you to the President. Mr. President, there is no doubt that South Africa is going through a third wave of infections, but you will know that the infection rate is nowhere near the second wave where it reached as high as 33%. President, you also made reference to the 1994 elections, where there was a significant right-wing threat to create terrorist attacks on election day. Certainly a very, very unsafe environment. But however, South Africa pushed forward and we got through those elections. Now, Mr. President, I'm not sure if you're aware of the statistics, but on the, on the latest statistics on the, on the IEC website, 
for the four elections, by-elections held between November and May of 2023 to 2021, elections were held in 173 wards involving 890 voting districts and involving more than 1.2 million voters. Those by-elections, all of them, were declared to be free and fair by the IEC, and they were all declared to be COVID compliant. What is concerning us, Mr. President, is that this panic environment that is being hyped up by the government is just an excuse to delay the elections. And the other issue, Mr. President, you refer to Judge Mosineke's inquiry and his panel, and we have great respect for the mm -hmm. judge, but he, he also considered the massive constitutional crisis looming if there is a determination to move the local government elections past the 90 days determined and prescribed by the Constitution. Thank you, Mr. President. Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. And I would like to thank the Honorable Member, uh, Brauter Seth. I, I fail to understand uh, the import of the both statement and the question that uh, he has posed. Uh, I'm taken aback to hear honorable member saying that the government is creating a sense of panic. Uh, I'm not aware of government creating a sense of panic. As government, I made an announcement that the elections should go ahead and even set a date in October, a date which will be duly proclaimed by the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. I need to be told in what way we are therefore creating a panic. If anything, we are dealing with the matter as carefully as we possibly can, because we continue to manage the COVID-19 pandemic, and we continue to watch the incidence of infections. And where we get concerned about the rising infections, we inform the nation. And in that regard, we've tended to be as transparent as we possibly can. But then again, Honorable Chairperson, we have an institution called the Independent, underline the Independent Electoral Commission. Which commission said to us that we do need, in terms of the legal framework, to have, in order to comply with our constitutional prescripts, to have it declared that the elections will go ahead. But out of great caution, the IEC has said, we would like to establish an inquiry which would be led by a highly reputable individual in the body politic of our country to determine whether elections can be held or can be considered, or the holding of elections can be considered to be free and fair, 
even in these conditions. Now, I don't know to what extent we're creating a panic or the IEC is creating a panic. The IEC has to be very cautious and careful as well because they manage the elections and arrange the elections independently. Now, as to the judge who the honorable member says he respects highly, I don't know how we're able to bring the judge into this and even suggest that is the judge aware of the prescripts of our constitution that uh, he could be creating a constitutional crisis. I'm not so sure where that comes from and where that belongs. All I would want to say to the honorable member is that let us trust the process. Let us trust the prescripts of our constitution. If nothing else, the constitution is the shock absorber that helps to balance whatever turbulence there might be. And let us trust the IEC to be able to manage this process properly without any undue interference in what they have to do. And let us have and confirm or continue to have our trust in Judge Museneke that as he has been able to do good by our country on a number of occasions handling various tricky issues that affect the people of our country, that he will continue to do so. And I think anything else could well amount to our undue interference in the work that he has to do and the IEC has to do. Let us leave it to those institutions that have served us well in the past. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable President. Uh, the next supplementary question, which is the third supplementary question, comes from Honorable Detroit. Honorable Detroit. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable, Honorable President, the Constitution is not clear about the term free and fair elections, but we know that there are always many issues with elections. And the whole of South Africa could agree that the municipal elections couldn't have come at a better time since we need urgent intervention in government structures and a new responsible and accountable uh, council must be elected in all municipalities to prevent municipalities from regressing further. Mr. President, whether the election is postponed or not, what measures are in place to ensure that possible violence service delivery protest actions, or that's what they are called nowadays, will not take place that might prevent elections from being free and fair. Thank you, Chair. Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. I continue to have a great deal of confidence in the people of South Africa that when it comes to their inalienable right of voting for their representative. They've always, they've always been responsible. They've always acted correctly. They've always sought to defend, advance, and protect their own interests. And they've always done so without any form of violence, without any form 
of disruption. They have always put their democratic right of being able to choose their representatives ahead of any other right that they may have to advance their own personal interests. So I have no doubt that our people will not seek to do anything to disrupt the execution or the implementation of this important right. Our people will always seek to act correctly when it comes to this issue. Of course, because our people are affected by a whole number of issues, including service delivery lapses, service delivery mishaps, they will always seek to express themselves in one shape or form. And I'm on record as saying that our people, yes, must express themselves in whatever way they want, but they do not have a right to embark on violence. They do not have a right to try and restrict the rights of other people, and they do not have a right to damage willfully the public property of the people of South Africa. And within those constraints and boundaries, and they don't have a right to embark on illegal uh, acts during any uh, form of uh, protest, of demonstrating their displeasure in anything. Nobody has the right or even a monopoly on acting in a way that restricts the rights of anyone else. And so therefore I would not expect them to act in a way if they have to act uh, on the issue of elections in a way that will either lead to violence, to disruption and so forth. South Africans inherently are peaceful people. And where they have expressed themselves in ways that could lead to undesirable acts like that, it's either they've been expressing their deep unhappiness, but I will insist that they must not and should not exercise and demonstrate their protest in a violent manner. That should not be allowed. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable President. We'll, we'll then proceed to the fourth uh, supplementary question from Honorable uh, N. Dongeni. Honorable Dongeni. Mongamele <laughs> Ukutinisekisa ukuba inkonzo ezikwizinga elipezu. Ukuchincha ubomi babantu abanga katintweni kuya kubekeka. Ukwenze la kubabanga pinde bazifumane bekule ngaki edhe zifumene bekuyo ngekesha ilizwe 
Beli kutunge lwe yincholo ngwane ye COVID. Diabula ila munganeri. Diabula ila Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Yabulela, ma'am. Classifiga uba kona ama election city. Laoma elections, masenze show uguti azao kuchwa. Gendlela, efanele. Mendlela, esifanguti sebenze ngayo. Bapanzi, wemiteto, esibegileyo ye COVID-19. Sibege imiteto guti. Ngale sisimo esikuso ngoku. Masenze show uguti, silandele yonke leyo miteto. Uguti abantu, kawu wonka makresha. Babe nendele uguti bawashe izandla zabu. Banga sondeli kakulu tuze na banyabandu kube na leyo distance etlane fana uguti bekona. Kau senda wene tizo wenze show uguti. Aniko baninzi enda weni etizo noma e, e enda we lantangana kona. Senda loku ngoba Sisi azu guti, i COVID, i tanda, lehenti uguti abandu babebeti bene, beba ninzi. I COVID futi, i spread wanje, ngomlomo nange mpumlu. That's why siti abandu mabathale, befage i masks zaapu. So, kasi ya kekuma elections, we need to observe the regulations so that we can held we can rather hold the elections in a proper manner i'm convinced that if we were to do that we should be able to do so nakona futhi when it comes to ukukhethwa kwabantu abafana ukuthi bamele umphakathi we should make sure ukuthi they must look after the interests of our people, advance their interests. And even as we are going to be entering into a period of, yes, campaigning for our elections, let's identify the right people, the right people who will advance the collective interests of our people where our people live so as to ensure that there's proper service. So we need to hold the elections properly. We also need to identify the right people so that we have the best outcomes that are going to advance the interests of our people. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable President. We will proceed to question five. This question is on upsurge of violent conflicts in Africa. Uh, it is from uh, Honorable Sheikh and is directed to the President of the Republic. Um, Honorable President. 
Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members, South Africa is working within the established systems and the protocols of the Southern African Development Community to address the destabilization of the Cabo Delgado province and to establish political stability in Mozambique. The SADC double troika technical assessment mission, which had been deployed to the area in April 2021, proposed amongst other things, the deployment of a standby, SADC standby force in support of the Mozambican Armed Defense Force to combat the threat of terrorism and acts of extreme violence. An extraordinary SADC organ Troika Summit, which took place on the 27th of May, 2021 in Maputo, agreed to convene an extraordinary SADC Summit on the 23rd of June to reach an agreement on the appropriate regional response in support of Mozambique. Now, the summit noted progress towards the establishment and operation of the SADC Humanitarian and Emergency Operations Center, which will enhance regional capabilities in risk and disaster management. Now, the Republic of Mozambique has committed to host the center. The SADC honor uh, organ troika in keeping with its principle of peaceful resolution remains seized with finding a lasting solution to the conflict to ensure that Mozambique is stable, peaceful, and able to develop its economy. Honorable Chairperson, I thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable President. Um, the first supplementary question comes from Honorable Shaikh. Honorable Shaikh. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson and Dimasiari, Honorable President. And thank you for your comprehensive response. Honorable President, we welcome the establishment of the SADC Humanitarian and Operational Center, which Mozambique has committed to host. Because, Honorable President, they, there is no doubt that this violent conflict in Cabo Delgado has led to the loss of, loss of life and livelihoods and displaced many innocent civilians, adding more to the already high levels of poverty, hunger, and other socioeconomic pressures. In this light, Honorable President, is there any plan by SADC and the AU in partnership with the international community for sustained provision of humanitarian aid and integrated socioeconomic reconstruction? And secondly, Honorable President, what are the plans for the intensification of the Africa agenda of silencing the guns in the continent more broadly? Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chepson. Honorable President. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, 
Honorable uh, Sheikh Dimasiari, the Adiwa Nambuzi, so he no nearby Buzisa. Ningo or Mozambique, your end or Hubena. Jesus Nerazu is our operational center. Enenge Mozambique. Inea dori tusaro te hapa noni. Ka mubundu washu wa sadak. Unewa angareza. Uh, mashaka manji enepa. Na mibundu minji. Rine ri South Africa. Nayone Sadak. Nayone AU Rodim Sela Uri. Ritu Seba Tuvangei Mozambique. Ribatu Sengandira Zotenga Mandesa. Jesus humanitarian assistance. Uri humanitarian assistance Ibehon. Ribatu se Ngandira Njitneranga Konanga Uri. Hapa lani Cabo Delgado. Haya maswina ori achijena. Haya manava. Abula abatu banjinga manda. Avala na zindira. Zafeza zoita ori. Oschaba na petu haudzula kabatu banji. Babarangana petu hote. Paschawana na petu wa uzura. Tawubili. Zeliwa. Tawula. Na hone rikowana uri. Ndara yono jena. Nga uri hayama naba. Bako vala ndira zote. Za uri batu bako nuwa na zeliwa. Kuchiru haba tuvanji angeni. Buko tokonda chote. Zita uri. Rineri Sadak, Rikono Utusa, na Rineri South Africa, Africa Chipembe, Rikodo Rumela Tuso, Inovapano, Uita Horibuchurava to Angeni, Cabo Delgado. Naka mingwe mevundu ini avatsini na enefala. Ito dova kwinenyana. With regard to this agenda of silencing the guns, Honorable Chair and Member, this is an important agenda for our continent and we continue to work at achieving and attaining this agenda. It became an important agenda program during our chairship of the AU. We had hoped that by the end of last year, we would have silenced the guns, but it did not happen. And indeed, we're finding that in a number of countries on our continent, the guns are just raging. But we remain committed to the hope of silencing the guns and are working uh, continuously to silence the guns with a number of players on the continent. So that project is ongoing. We have stops and starts and sometimes reversals, but so is the nature 
of our work on our continent. We have to keep at it until we have achieved success. So we will continue to support the people of Mozambique in every way possible, as we also seek to silence the guns across our continent. Thank you, Honorable Chief. Thank you very much, Honorable President. We'll now proceed to a question, supplementary question by Honorable Ngwezi. Honorable Ngwezi. Thank you very much, Nyambose. Mozambique's Capo Delgado's province is experiencing challenges due to clashes between armed insurgent groups and security forces, a security challenge that has demanded both regional and global attention. In May this year, the government strongly warned against the attacks, especially on children, women, and the elderly. During the escalating violence between Israel and Palestine, calling it unjust and shameful. Yet a few miles away, Islamic militants are beheading children as young as 11 years old in Cabo Delgado, while more than 2,600 people have died in the conflict and 670,000 are reported to have fled their homes. Mindful that instability in Mozambique is an external threat to our security against religious terrorist groups, what active measures have we taken as a country and as a regional hegemony to protect ourselves and our Sadiq countries? Uh, thank you, uh, Mengame. Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson and the Honorable Member Ngwezi. I did in my initial reply to the question <clears throat> that was raised by Honorable Sheikh, I did say that the SADC double troika has met and made certain recommendations, which recommendations are now going to be considered by the SADC summit later this month. And in the intervening period, there are quite a number of other measures and steps that are being implemented to support our neighbors in Mozambique. And when the summit will have taken place and uh, discuss the recommendations from the double troika, the way forward will be clearly plotted. In the intervening period, all countries in the region and indeed beyond continue to interact and interface with Mozambique with a view of seeing how best Mozambique can be supported. That is a process that continues. And I'm sure the honorable member will understand and respect the positions that are being taken on an ongoing basis. I thank you. Thank you, Honorable President. The next question, which is the third supplementary question, comes from Honorable Lutuli. Honorable Lutuli? Yeah, Bongang Bingalel, Mongamel, Oko Kubuka Nogusla Sela, 
ngamaphekula esifundazweni sasekapo degado emozambique isimo esingapheli siyaqonda futhi ukuthi siyibuya luyalo edemocratic republic of congo amaqili aseba asemali nakwezinye izindawo eAfrica konke kunesici esisodwa esifanayo futhi lokho kungukuqhashazwa kwezinsiza sebenza zaseAfrica ngamazwe asentshonalanga Ingabe nawo unawini umbono wokuthi izingxabano ezihlomile kulelizwe kazi futhi ikakhulukazi emozambique zichaswe amazwe afana ne France anenhloso eyodwa ekusetshenzisweni kwemithombo yethu yezokwembiwa umuntu yaqonda ukuthi uthi khona ingxoma ezenziwe kepha sifisukwazi ukuthi isiphi ikhamba isincomo esiqhamuke kumongameli ukuthi sibhekane nalezi inkinga siyabonga Honorable President, uh, Honorable uh, uh, Chairperson, and Honorable Member, Yabonga Gulombuzo Buzai, Yabu Guningana, Sisebenzangago, was a zonke laying hagi as Pene, the Mozambique. Aleskati. Nivagashele a Paris a France Yenga Gwazu Gutin Sangane no Monga Meli Wakonangale Sakuluma Nazin Dresden the Gala Lapa a Africa a wombi conalapa a Mozambique Psycho Paleonda Bangoba Bona Jenge and Jenge France Pane Campan a Bizua Total Enza imsebenze tize lape Mozambique. Nabo le simo esikona lape Cabo Delgado. Gembela asibachablisi na ganyani. Egu kono guti nati siso onke aishablisi intuenze gayo lape Cabo Delgado. So, clearly all of us are concerned about the situation out there in Mozambique. We've also been affected more directly because a South African, as you well know, passed away and uh, other South Africans who are also working and uh, in that area have also been either displaced or affected and some may even have been injured. So it is an incident or a situation rather that affects many of us, all of us, so we therefore need to work together and uh, see how best we can solve this problem in supporting, yes, Mozambique and making sure that we uh, bring an end to the noise of the guns and silence them to get all together so that we can live in peace and harmony as the people of Southern Africa, and indeed, Africa as a whole. I thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable President. Uh, we will now pro proceed to the fourth and last uh, supplementary question uh, from Honorable uh, W.A.S. Okam. Honorable Okam. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable President, for taking the question. Honorable President, 
noting the depleted budget to the South African National Defence Force and the understaffing of the border monitoring program of the Defence Force, as well as the fact that there are rumours of extremist groups already having cells in South Africa. What steps have been taken to ensure that South Africa is protected from similar threats and attacks as those that took place in Cabo Delgado in Mozambique, especially noting the recent discoveries of gas resources near our coastline? Thank you, Honorable President. Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Ocamp. The South African government, through its various agencies and arms, continues to monitor the situation that's unfolding in Mozambique and continue to monitor the impact that the flow over of that type of situation could have on South Africa. Our various agencies are monitoring the situation with the sole aim of continuing to protect the people of South Africa. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable President. We'll now move over to the last question. That is question six. The question is on strengthening the fight against the gender-based violence, and or femicide. Uh, the question is from uh, uh, DC Christians, and is directed to the President of the Republic. Honorable President. Chairperson and honorable members, following the State of the Nation Address in June of 2019, the Emergency Response Action Plan was implemented to further strengthen the fight against gender-based violence and femicide and provide justice for the victims and survivors. This was a short-lived plan implemented over six months through partnerships between civil society networks, government, development partners, and also academic institutions. The National Strategic Plan on Gender-Based Violence and Femicide was approved by cabinet in March of 2020. Now that plan builds onto the Emergency Response Action Plan and focuses on improved accountability, responsiveness to the needs of survivors, addressing impunity and driving a comprehensive prevention agenda. We are beginning to see positive results through various joint interventions. In February, in 2021, we launched the private sector GBVF response fund, where an initial amount of almost 130 million rand was pledged. Legislative reform has been a critical component of the National Strategic Plan. Last week, the National Assembly passed three bills 
the criminal law, sexual offenses and related matters amendment bill. Secondly, the domestic violence amendment bill. And thirdly, the criminal and related matters amendment bill. Now these three bills are now on their way to your house, Honorable Chairperson, the NCOP. I would encourage the NCOP to carefully consider these three bills with a sense of urgency within the legislative mandate of the NCOP. We have introduced several innovative initiatives to facilitate access to support and justice. This includes an SMS notification system for applications for domestic violence protection orders that was launched at all district courts in January 2021. The Domestic Violence Amendment Bill, once passed, will make it possible for complainants to apply for protection orders online. Now, 32 regional courts are ready for the designation that we could give them a sexual offenses court. There are plans for the establishment of six additional Tutuzela care centers. As at March 2021, all police stations had the necessary sexual assault DNA kits to assist victims and survivors. The implementation of the NSP on gender-based violence and femicide through the district development model, which we launched, is being embedded in provincial and local government structures. All provinces in our country are developing provincial plans. The process of localization is further bolstered by the establishment of rapid response structures at district and local municipality levels across the country. As we move into the second year of the National Strategic Plan, we are focused on strengthening accountability at all levels of government and society. We are also developing a comprehensive national gender-based violence and femicide prevention strategy, including evidence-based social and behavior change programs. If we are committed to working together as a country, as government, communities, civil society, organized labor, organized business, as well as academia, not leaving aside traditional leaders, as well as faith leaders, we will succeed in ending violence against women and children in South Africa. Honorable Chairperson, I thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable uh, President. The first supplementary question comes from uh, Honorable DC Christians. Honorable Christians? 
Honorable Christians, if Christ, Honorable Christian is not available, we'll move on to Honorable M.S. Muletsan. <laughs> Honorable Muletsan. Thank you, thank you, Chair. Honorable Chief. Oh. Yes, Labusakle. On the point of order, please, Chair. I think Honorable. Yes. Christians, what, what is the point of order? Uh, Honorable Christians has loud sharing. Is okay. it give me permission to ask the question? Yeah, please proceed. Thank you, Chair. Mr. President, sadly, a woman is murdered every Thank day. you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Honorable Mr. President, sadly, a woman is murdered. Thank you. Point of order, Chair. Order, 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 Chair. Uh, it looks like we are right at the person I am back at the, at the, at the end of uh, <laughs> uh, our session. So let's exercise a bit more patience. Uh, Jeepers, I apologize, it was load shedding. Yes, load shedding. Okay, please proceed. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, chairperson, I am grateful for the opportunity. Um, uh, Mr. President, um, sadly, a woman is murdered every three hours in this country. This is five times the global average. There is a huge imbalance in how your government is dealing with the scourge. We are said to have the most highly regarded legislation and policies to address gender-based violence. And yet, we have DNA backlogs of 173,000. A recent report also shows that most women have traumatic experiences across all stages of interactions with the justice system when reporting incidents of gender-based violence. Additionally, the SAPS's recent bungling allowed a private soul a supplier to turn off the systems that track evidence in criminal matters. Given this catastrophic consequences of failure on the prosecution of gender-based violence cases, what action will you take against the Minister of Police, as well as the National Commissioner that presided over this dereliction of duty? And more importantly, Mr. President, will you give a commitment as well as a timeline to ensure the DNA backlogs are processed speedily? Thank you very much, Mr. President and Honorable Chairperson. Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable uh, Member. Clearly, we continue to be concerned about the killing of the women of our country and the trauma that they go through at the hands of men. And these are matters and challenges that we continue to deal with. And you are correct in saying we have passed really good legislation, and we've come up with instruments that are really good to be able to deal with the scourge 
of gender-based violence. And clearly, the real challenge is implementation of the decisions and the laws and the rules that we have passed. It is this that is going to act as the great impetus to be able to get, yes, the department that's led by Minister Kele, and also the, uh, the ministry that's led by Minister Kele and the department that is led by the commissioner to take steps on an ongoing basis to address these challenges. Yes, the mishap that has happened with the process of securing the DNA is a matter as serious that I will be getting a full and detailed report on. And I also am addressing the issue of how best we can address the issue of the, the DNA challenges, because it is not acceptable that we've had 173,000 backlog when there is technology, when there are processes that we can utilize to address this type of challenge. This to me is a huge, huge, huge problem which I am addressing. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh, we will now proceed to the second uh, supplementary question from Honorable M.S. Muletsan. Honorable uh, Thank you, Chairperson. Mr. President, the abuse of women and children has not stopped since you made those promises. In actual fact, your police minister reported that between January and March this year, over 9,000 cases of rape were reported in South African police stations. What, in your view, needs to be done beyond the usual rhetoric from you to stop the abuse of women in this country? Are the police sufficiently equipped to investigate and the NPA sufficiently equipped to prosecute these cases? Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Muletani, for those questions. Yes, it is a matter of deep concern that the killing and the rapes of women continue in the horrendous manner that they do. And in the end, we need a police force that is well-trained, well-prepared to deal with this horrific trauma that the women of South Africa go through. We continue to pay attention to equipping our police so that they are able to deal with this challenge. Work is ongoing 
on a continuous basis. We continue to prepare them. We continue to train them and retrain them. The NPA is focused on ensuring that those who perpetrate these acts against women are brought to book. And the NPA, yes, has its own challenges of being short-staffed, but even the NPA has taken the trouble to train its members so that they are able to, when they have to prosecute incidents of rape and murder of women, they are able to do so effectively and efficiently so that every case they handle leads to conviction. Now, all this is being addressed on an ongoing basis. I am certain that we will see progress and a positive response as we move on. This matter of killing of women and the raping of women and young girls is of great concern to all of us. And I'd like us to continue handling it jointly, finding solutions jointly, so that we bring GBVF to an end in our country. The women of our country are crying out, yes, for the help of their government, but more importantly, the help of society broadly to ensure that we remove the scourge of violence against women and children once and for all. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable President. Uh, the next supplementary question comes from F. Detroit. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Detroit, yeah. Honorable President, Interpol has named South Africa the rape capital of the world, with an average of about 131 people being raped per day in South Africa, and an average of 58 people being murdered per day in South Africa. With Minister Sele's blatant disregard for the safety of South African citizens, since he's advocating for a gun-free South Africa, whilst being unable to win the fight against crime, murder and rape and gender-based violence, will you, Mr. President, strengthen the fight against GBV and femicide by supporting the use and ownership of firearms for self-defense to empower vulnerable women, among others. Thank you, uh, Chair. Thank, thank you very much, Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Dudoit. Yes, indeed, it's a matter of great shame to us as South Africans to be regarded as the rape capital of the world and to be put in those negative terms at the global level. It's not a statistic or a positioning or a rating that pleases us at all. So it is a matter of great concern. As regards the issue you raised, not every woman in our country subjected to this is a gun owner. And so therefore to reduce 
the issue of self-defense to just owning a gun by women, I think, is a mistake. We need to deal with the issue of gender-based violence and femicide as a national crisis. And as we deal with it, we need to find a whole lot of strategies and tactics in which all of society can participate in addressing the issue of gender-based violence. The issue of the guns and so forth is a matter that should be debated and addressed in its own name and right. But right now, I'd hate that we politicize the issue that we need to deal with of gender-based violence and make sure that all our efforts are efforts where we are able to join together, to work together, to ensure that the women and young girls of our country are safe and are able to lead their own lives freely. And they are able to walk down the streets of our country without fearing that anyone will attack them. It's a whole of society effort that we need to embark upon. And I believe that we are capable of doing it and we just need to have that resolve. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable President. Uh, the last and the fourth supplementary question uh, will come from Honorable N. Ngozi. Honorable Ngozi. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, greetings to the President. Uh, Honorable President, let me start by commending the government under your leadership for initiating the process of tightening the current legislative uh, framework on, G on GPV as announced by the Department of Justice and Constitutional uh, Development. Honorable President, how does government intend to build on, on the decisive uh, advances that government has made in terms of fighting gender-based violence and ensure that there is coherence across all spheres of government. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable President. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Member. Um, I've often held the view, and I want to repeat it here, that the only way we can be successful in our efforts in fighting gender-based violence is to work together. And we've crafted a rather very good and powerful process of working together, which is the district development model. And this model has been found to be most effective in a number of countries where not only government entities, but all stakeholders are able to work together at the level where our people interface with everything that affects their lives, be it crime, 
if we work together at that level, we will find more and greater effectiveness. Be it economic growth, be it addressing the challenges of schooling, be it health and infrastructure development, and indeed, be it gender-based violence and femicide. If we are able to organize ourselves as society, government working hand in hand with key role players, labor, religious leaders, traditional leaders, youth movements, women's movements, business, you name sports organizations, you know, if we are able to work together to look at the districts where our people live, we should be able to address this and many other problems. As to gender-based violence and femicide, working together as key role players would ensure that yes, very little space and room is left to abusers, to rapists, to killers in our areas because they'll find us tightly and neatly organized as a people where there is just no room for criminals, no room for rapists. This is the way in which we would have greater effectiveness because a cohesive society, a society which binds itself together around a set of values and principles would have greater, greater capability of being able to deal with social challenges, economic challenges, and a whole range of others. So I put a lot of confidence and faith in our ability to address our common problems in our society if we work together. It is one of the better and best ways. If our policing forums work effectively, where everyone joins in, in a common purpose type of approach, where everything that happens in our society, in our community, is everyone's concern. And it's everyone's responsibility, where we also take account for each other, where we look out for each other. That, in my view, is the philosophy that the father of our nation, Nelson Mandela, urged us to pursue Ubuntu, because it is through the Ubuntu principle of philosophy that we are able to say, my neighbor is my responsibility, my neighbor's well-being is my responsibility, Ngoba. Recebeza moho, di bake mo, mori lulante. 
I thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable President. So very, very grateful, Honorable President, that you have availed yourself. That, Honorable Delegates, concludes the business of the day. The House is now adjourned. Hi, Nyampi. Thank you, President. Thank you, President. Thank you, sir. Recording stopped. Chief thank you. Thank you so much, Chief Whip. Thank you, thank you, thank you, leadership. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow, MECs, uh, June 16th debate tomorrow and home affairs. Great, great, leadership. Yes. <laughs> Chief Wood Dumela. Dumela, me. Olika in Tate. Ah, Aukhan, Prasapit. Ninaka Pit. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm speaking. How? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks very much. Thanks, Chief. Uh, Councillor Charles. Hi, how are you? I'm good, sir. Hey, I'm just missing Cape Town, the cold as a Cape Town. <laughs> yeah. No water front. I'm sure Pumalanga is better than Cape Town. It's cold in the morning, yeah, but in the afternoon, it's hot. Around about four, it's starting to be cold again. It's very cold. Yeah.
Advocate. Hello. Advocate, you are, you are muted, ne? We're just waiting for your audio to reconnect, Advocate. Good afternoon. Yeah. Afternoon. Afternoon, have a good. Uh, uh, all members are gone now. Jason? Yes, I'll be Yes, I'll be Yeah, there you go. And you have stopped. Uh, I've stopped recording. Yeah. Recording as well as live broadcast. Yeah, I'm gonna stop it now. Stop it. Okay, yeah. but there is chairperson of the NSOP still pending. This, vi this video is pending. Huh? It was Advocate Pindela. Can I move that one to the waiting room? Yeah, you can move. Yeah, yeah, you can move the chairperson. Okay, done. Yeah. All right, thank you very much. Uh, is there anything, colleagues, that anyone would want to raise? Uh, if I may, advocate. Um, yes. Sir. Yeah, it was very challenging today with load shedding and the interpreters. Um, Ashley um, is on the group, but uh, I also noticed that he's not in the meetings. And when I had to try and convey what was happening in the meeting to him, he didn't quite understand until I sent him voice uh, voice notes of the interpreters breaking, um, especially when they have bad connections. Um, I was always under the impression that that he was on the meetings and he could sort of first and see what was going on. What um, was that? Ashley from. Uh, oh, Ashley, Ashley Carranza, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I I I kind of uh, feel that maybe if he knew how the interpretation was going during the meeting as well, that he'd sort of be able to understand better. Uh, when the interpreters are not quite connecting properly. 
Yeah. Uh, would it be advantageous if he was in the meeting in in sort of part of the team? <coughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, do we have any point from interpretation here? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Any anything else? Miss Powers, you have noted the the comments. Yes, advocate, I've noted it. Um, we will ask Mr. Kar also to join the link and or anyone else from interpretation from next week onward. I'm from tomorrow, sorry. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, any anything else, please? Advocate, just to report, we are just awaiting the link from IT. Ravi Sitsikli will send it. And we've received the latest special delegate list for tomorrow. We've received the interpretation list for tomorrow. Um, the guide and the order papers. The order paper has been sent out. So as soon as we receive the link, we will be able to, Mrs. Kohler will be able to distribute um, to members. Um, yeah, I think we, we pretty much set for tomorrow. The setting starts at 10 tomorrow morning. Okay, and the... Uh... The guide? The guide has been sent 